You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here on this fine Wednesday at Conservative Review. And it is March 27th, 2019, in the year of the Lord. Guess what? You know you want to hear the truth. You know sometimes it's hard to hear the truth. We speak the truth so much here that you want to turn this show off, but then you want to turn it back on. Because I think all of you would rather know you're being screwed than think we're on the road to heaven here. Um, Now, obviously, not everything in life revolves around politics, and we earn our time in heaven not from dealing with politics. But we do care about this country, and we do want to get things right. I want to tie up some loose ends from our last couple of shows on talking points over policies, distractions over true victories, golden calves, political morphine. All under the umbrella theme today that Republicans wouldn't know how to wipe their rear ends without the existence of Democrats in the media. Really. It seems like nobody knows what it means to be a conservative anymore. Nobody knows what they believe on our side, what it is they want, other than just responding at any given moment to what the Democrats and their allies in the media are putting out, whether it's a meme, whether it's a cultural flashpoint, or whether it's a policy, a legislative item. Whatever they put out, we deal with. This is embodied, in my view, so much in the dichotomy between the House and Senate schedules this week. It's amazing. You look at the Democrat House schedule. Democrats control the House. Republicans officially control the Senate. You look at the Democrat-controlled House, and it's one thing after another. First, override Trump's veto on the emergency declaration. I mean, literally, every day, three to 4,000 new people come to the border. Another 2,000 people are released on the back end. I had Brandon Judd. I'm going to have an article out tomorrow. Brandon Judd told me that he could say definitively this is the worst it has been in Border Patrol history. The numbers are the highest it's ever been in our Border Patrol history. In other words, right now, CBP is announcing we're on pace for about 100,000. I think they've already crossed 90,000. We're on pace for about 100,000 apprehensions. That's an annualized pace of 1.2 million. Now, remember, some of the bad years in the early 2000s and the 90s we had as I've mentioned before, a number of uh, years where we had over a million apprehensions, but we didn't apprehend over a million people. Brandon Judd told me he thinks it's more like maybe 600,000. What would happen is you would have the same people, not just in the same year or the same month, come back, get deported, come back, get deported, even in the same shift. One time he told me he arrested seven groups of three people, same guys, um, Three times, I'm sorry, uh, three three groups of seven people, 
and uh, they just they cycled back again. Each one was counted as a separate apprehension, but they were really the same seven people. Seven people three times, so it was counted as 21. It was really seven. That's three times more inflated number just in that shift alone, whereas now almost every single person coming across is unique. They're never deported. So just in – you know, certainly in terms of the magnitude to America that they're all being released and none of them are being deported <coughs> is is a problem qualitatively, but quantitatively on the front end too. <coughs> it is pretty clear at this point that we are at the worst pace ever. And again, this is no longer a pace. It's not a pace of illegal immigration. It's not even illegal. We are telling the world you could come here and they're coming. We don't have a border. And if you look at conservative media – to the extent they'll even focus on this, it's just a talking point. See, it is an emergency. Okay, what are you going to do about it, buddy? I put forth a number of ideas. At some point, you got to stand up, fight the courts. And there's other things with you know, the security side and the cartel side. You don't even need to deal with the courts. But the point is, the Democrats... They have their views. They believe in them. So they they did that. They tried to override the veto. Obviously, they didn't have the votes. Then they have this equal pay bill. You know, the smarter Democrats know the whole business of men and women being paid less with the same experience, same job is nonsense. You're comparing a macro group of one people. Like my wife has been out of her profession for years for staying home with the kids. So obviously, you know, yeah, when she would eventually go back full-time to work, she'll be way behind where she would have been without that, but that's life. And uh, that's the price of being the mother of civilization. Someone's got to do it. Although a lot of people don't do it anymore, which is why I guess you know we're not replacing ourselves other than with third-world migrants. But anyway, so they have this equal pay bill. And they're moving on and on and on down the line, one bill after another, healthcare bills, stuff that speaks to their messaging, what they believe in. Okay, they, they don't they don't they don't waver, they see, they come, they conquer. You saw this in Colorado, a 200-year battle over the electoral college. they just like, hey, we, we, we got all three branches now there. Let's just abolish the electoral college from a state level. By the way, if a Republican state tried to do that, the courts would intervene, of course. Somehow, when Democrats control state government, when they control the federal government, they do whatever they want. But even a state government, they, they do whatever they want. They never have a problem. They don't talk about it. They don't send out fundraising emails doing it. I mean, they do that too, but they don't only do that. They don't only have talking points. They don't have distractions. They don't have fake wins. They don't have talking point wins. They have real wins. They take real action. And... um. 
they're marking up their budget bill with all their priorities, unlike when Republicans control the House and they didn't have any priorities. One after another, they're working on their stuff. They don't miss a beat. You go over into the Senate and you would think that at the very least, we know that you're not going to fight the courts. We know that this administration doesn't seem to have the guts to do what it, it takes within the lawful confines of statute and the Constitution to follow what should be done to protect our sovereignty. But at least if you have control of the Senate and you know it's not going to go anywhere, certainly not going to pass the House, at least make the Democrats take tough votes. Like Democrats think they're making Republicans do with their bills. Oh, you're against equal pay for women, you know? So, oh, you're for MS-13, you're for drug traffickers, you're for criminal aliens murdering people in California. You would think they would have a vote on sanctuary cities. You would think they would have a vote on stopping catch and release. I mean, again, the news stories write themselves for what is going on at our border. Every day it gets worse and worse. But every day, every day, it's, it's just out of control. Nick Myroff just tweets out from the Washington Post, I was there in the Rio Grande Valley during the child migrant crisis in 2014. This is much, much bigger. Okay, remember, Obama eventually shut it down. Now, he was embarrassed about it. Eventually, towards the end of his presidency in 2016, it ramped back up again. Nothing. The White House doesn't talk about it, and therefore no one in phony conservative media will talk about it, and nobody in the Senate will talk about it or introduce any legislation. You know, one of you, um, one of our ardent listeners, you just sent me a message as I'm going on air here, as I'm recording, that there's good news that California law enforcement agencies are resisting the sanctuary law and starting to cooperate with ICE. And I was thinking there's a very deep thought I want you guys to follow here. Republicans in the Senate are now to the left of some liberal counties, San Bernardino, Orange County, which unfortunately now is kind of a liberal county, Santa Clara County. They're, sh they're shaken up by a number of these murders there as a result of sanctuary cities. They know the people are pissed, even in California. And they're starting to like, yeah, well, maybe we ought to turn these people over to ICE. And Republicans won't strike while the iron's hot. It, it amazes me. Meaning, even the Democrats, here, here's, a new, here's a new one for you. Take this to the bank. Even Democrats have more of an initiative on our issues to do the right thing every once in a while if they feel backed into a corner. Whereas our people will get drunk on Mueller, Avenatti, whatever other meme of the day is, 
They don't know how to wipe their rear ends if the Democrats don't bring it up or if Trump himself doesn't talk about it. It doesn't exist. And again, I don't mean followers, you know, people that just, you know, have normal jobs for a living, don't do politics. I mean people that just like me, all they do for a living is politics. And they should know better. And they don't. So even Democrats, and like I said, in 2014, Obama, I remember it. I mean, like it was yesterday, the summer of 2014 was a big fight over this. And even Obama had to say, yeah, it's a problem. We're going to deal with it. Now it's like, hey, you know, the numbers are going to go up and up and up, and it, it just doesn't matter. Just doesn't matter. So um, what is it that they did focus on, right? What is it that they focused on in the Senate? A lot of profundity to this. They focused on, let's bring the Democrat Green New Deal legislation to the floor. See, see, you, you guys are scared to vote on it. Notice how even when we do something that's kind of like at least somewhat clever and good, it's all revolving around what the Democrats want to do down the road. Meanwhile, we not only don't we fight, but we agree to everything they're doing now to destroy our country, won't deal with it, won't have our own vision on health care, our own vision on spending priorities, on reducing the size of government, our own vision on what a true, strong, and realistic foreign policy looks, on what sovereignty looks like, on what education looks like. We just take what the left is talking about and we react to it. Now, as I told you guys, there's one thing in the House of Representatives where Republicans are in the minority, where they can't sponsor any initiatives. They can't introduce any, I mean, they could introduce, they can't bring any legislation to the floor. They don't control the floor. All you have is what's called a motion to recommit before the final vote on a Democrat bill. So the best you can do is embarrass them. So I suggested different things like that, bringing abolish ICE to the floor, bringing some of their talking points and actually making them vote on it. But if you control the Senate and the Senate, they have the majority, vote on what you believe in. That will both embarrass them and accomplish something. Nothing. And let me tell you, there's deep psychological profundity to this modus operandi of Republicans always obsessing and defining themselves by the Democrats. And that is when you become so consumed by, oh, we have to fight Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, Green New Deal, Green New Deal. You know what winds up happening? It's kind of like the Stockholm Syndrome. You wind up agreeing to it. When you're just about not being the other guy, ironically, you wind up being the other guy. This is our golden calf segment here. I'm going to slay a golden calf for you. One of the big guys that's become popular with conservatives lately is Congressman Matt Gates from Florida. He's had a lot of real punchy videos. Really good stuff on Mueller and that type of stuff. Very aggressive type of guy. He is, I think he even refers to himself or some regard him as you know, the Republican Alexandria whatever Cortez. 
Well, guess what? Matt Gates is preparing to introduce the GOP answer to Arcasio Cortez's Green New, D- New Deal. It's from the Daily Caller. A draft of Gates' resolution obtained by Politico recognizes risks to the U.S. from climate change, citing Department of Defense reports that identify certain military assets and bases as at risk to rising sea levels and increasing severe weather events, such as hurricanes. Climate change creates new risks and exacerbates existing vulnerabilities in communities across the United States, presenting growing challenges to the human health and safety, quality of life, and the rate of economic growth, unquote, the draft says. Heather Reams, executive director of Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions, said in a statement, Congressman Gates deserves to be applauded for taking the lead in crafting a bold resolution that identifies actionable climate solutions that will benefit America's economy, environment, and national security. Folks, this is, boy, is this a teachable moment. When we have, we don't have our own vision. So then even when we feel we need to give a vision, it's all through their prism. We're the... Moon and they're the earth. We orbit around them. They call their shot. And we just, uh, we make it. That's the story. That is the story here. Matt Gates, This is where we're headed. Issue after issue after issue. The conservative LGBTQ coalition. The conservative immigration expansion. The conservative amnesty. The conservative green. The conservative healthcare compassion subsidies. The conservative Department of Education ideas. You know... (laughs) We, we are conservatives today are to the left of where establishment Republicans and even Democrats were a generation ago. But that's where we are. Notice the only agenda Republicans have from the White House to the Senate to outside conservative flatulators and talkers is whatever the Democrats bring up on a given day. And then ironically, the farther to the left they move, we move to the left with them while fake fighting them to the left. Let me tell you what's happening in the White House now. Jay Sekulow, White House attorney, one of Trump's attorneys, He was on a show, he was on, I think he was on Morning Jerk, uh, MS, I was about to say MS-13, MSNBC. And uh, he said, we need, you know, I know some people are going to disagree, but we, we should be focusing on comprehensive immigration reform. Now, believe me, you and I support comprehensive immigration reform, very different reforms. Those weren't the reforms he was talking about. Notice David Bossy. I mean, of all people, he was like a Bannon type of guy. He's out there now promoting massive expansion immigration. And then, and then, 
You have Mick Mulvaney. Not going to get anyone more powerful than the White House chief of staff. Although, there is one person who's more powerful than the White House chief of staff. And that is Javanka. So, you want to get into good graces with Javanka. According, this is from Washington Examiner. Um, where is this? I'm just trying to find the quote here. This is from Mulvaney. Jared and Ivanka are among the most valuable assets in the White House. Not only do they have a deep understanding of the issues and their own unique talents, but they also provide all of us with a level of insight into the president's thinking unseen since Kennedy. <sighs> if you think we could just sit here quietly and expect just Trump's presence alone to save this country when you have these people that are controlling the White House, the very type of people that all the hardcore Trump supporters for which they voted for Trump to get rid of are now more in power than under some establishment Republicans. And you think we could just, you know, listen to Trump's campaign speeches or his rallies, and then he goes back to the White House and these guys are running the policies and not get in his face and say, hey, Mr. President, this ain't working. Your staff is a problem. Do this. You're deluding yourself. And again, you know, the irony is Trump actually agrees with us on a lot of this stuff. It ranges from him downright wanting to do it to being open to do it. And if we get in his face, he'll do it. He knows these guys by name. He's obsessed with what conservative media figures think of him. But therein lies the problem. Trump is, a, is an opportunity for us on a lot of issues, potentially. But he needs to be steered. But no one will steer him unless he steers. They won't follow anything. They won't support anything. They won't focus on anything unless Trump focus on, is, focuses on it. But often Trump won't focus on it. And, and uh, you know, that's it. We're never going to get anything. Then even when he does focus on it, we'll just focus on it again as a talking point for the duration of when Trump focuses on it. But the minute Trump is on to the next thing without actually implementing the policy, well, it gets forgotten. How about that uh, birthright citizenship ruling? How about it? Whatever happened to that? Now, most of the phony conservative media figures actually bashed it. But even the few that defended him is only for the time he brought it up. But hey, if it's out of sight, out of mind. If Trump himself, from his perspective or the Democrats or the media don't bring up an issue, our people don't know what to do. Because unfortunately, with the advent of social media, it has fried out people's brains in this business. There's no initiative. There's no understanding. We just react. We just grab policies randomly 
to get talking points. I, I want a talking point. See, we're, 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 more, we're, we're more pro climate change than you are. We have a better way of dealing with it. I mean, once you're using their parlance and premises, you're done. They got you. We agree to judicial supremacy, but we're, we'll, we'll appoint better judges. Really? You think you're going to beat them at that? We agree to um, climate change, but... And that's like, we don't even call them out for the rhetoric. Make fun out of it. Use global warming. No, we have to use their... Like, seriously, we seriously use their language as if it's legitimate. Every letter, L, give me an L. Boom, boom, give me a B. Boom, boom, give me a Q. Right, I mean, each one, we have it down to a science. Democrats say jump, we say how high. But we'll do it more conservatively. I'm not kidding you. If some of you haven't seen this, you could Google it. You go to that National Review, the, <laughs> the, conserv the conservative case for Puerto Rican statehood. This is too funny. A conservative case for Puerto Rican statehood. Why do you think we're doing that? Because we want a talking point. You know where it's coming from. It's all identity politics. No, no, you see, we, we, it's a conservative thing. It's like, it's like, we, you know, taxation without representation. I mean, they don't pay taxes and they get more benefits per capita than anyone else, but whatever. There's a conservative case for everything except for what is actually conservative and what actually matters to the future of this country. That's the raw truth of it. I'm sick of this. You know, speaking of uh, the birthright order, one of the things we thought we'd finally progress in this presidency not just reversing an Obama policy, but really the last couple of administrations is finally ending the temporary protected status, the TPS amnesties. Well, Trump is reportedly set to extend TPS for 34,000 Liberians that are here since 1991, in addition to all the other countries he extended it for. Never mind the fact that 560,000 Liberian refugees have returned home among the ones that went to other countries. So it's it's not because they can't return home. Even that. E even the, the smaller issues. So you say, look, on the, on the border, on the million people coming in, the, the floor has fallen out from under us. It's worse than ever. On net, it's worse than ever. But are there some areas of immigration where we're making some improvement? Even the areas where we thought we were, you know, there's no pressure. There's no focus. And meanwhile, commensurate with every political screwball, every policy screwball, is a golden calf. Everyone's all happy. Oh, my gosh. This is the best week ever. We got Avenatti, and we got Mueller, and we got somehow they think we won against Obamacare just because DOJ filed a brief in a stupid case. And then guess what? Trump just officially got approval from DOD to reprogram a billion dollars in wall funding, 57 miles of 18-foot fencing, baby. You know where it's going to be put? More in the El Paso sector. Do you know what you have in the El Paso sector now? 
in some areas, 18-foot fencing. Do you know what's happening? We don't have a border, so a border fence doesn't work because we say the whole world is their border, so we bring them in. I'm not trying to get you down. I'm trying to strategically show you how strategically, if you have people that are mentally ill and they're dancing around and think they have the ball in the end zone when they don't, the first step is you have to say you don't have it in the end zone so we can strategize to get it in the end zone because you can't get it in the end zone if you think you have it in the end zone and there's nothing left to do. In that respect, it would be better that Trump had not done this whole emergency thing because it's just distracting our people. It seems like the White House and then all the conservative media is taking cues from it and conservative voters are getting fooled by that, that they think, oh, the, the problem's taken care of. Well, meanwhile, uh, dude, it's getting worse by the day. And I'm sick of hearing the excuses. No other president at this point would have allowed this to go on. Oh, the courts of this. Give me a break. We, we've talked about that enough. The bottom line is, you look at everything you're seeing coming out from almost everyone with the White House with this expanding immigration business, and you know where it's coming from. I mean, even Kellyanne Conway, she responded like with a tweet about, you know, oh, you know, it's time we care about the important issues or something like that. And she listed a whole bunch of issues, and you know what one of her throwaway phrases was? And all the people, quote, languishing in prison. See, I thought yesterday we just concluded that often – too many people don't get locked up, like with the Jussie business. So we have that talking point. That's conservative. Everything's conservative. You know what else is conservative? Freedom Works tweeted at Chip Roy, like as if, like, get on board, to support legislation that they call ban the box. That you're not allowed to put on job applications to disclose your criminal history. So now on a job site... You're working out doing construction. A guy that butchered someone could be next to you. I mean, this stuff until a couple of years ago was wacko. Mainstream Democrats didn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. But we want a talking point. I'm good for the poor people. I'm good for the downtrodden. I'm good for the intersectionality racial Olympics. This is why, if you notice, they'll never get juiced up about our own people. So it's like, you know, even good things, like I said, with Israel. And, and at some point, I want to do a whole show about learning the right lessons of Israel, because there's a lot to learn from them. Their political parties, their elections, their, what's going on, what I think conservatives would learn, learn from. Instead, we're like, oh, we're protecting Israel. And look, again, I understand biblically, I think we, we kind of believe in that. They're an ally. I, I get that all. I certainly get that. But I think it also comes from the fact that we feel it's okay to care about other people. Now, that is okay for you to run your personal life that way. That's a charitable way of running your personal life, that you care more about other people than yourself. <laughs> but wait a minute. If you're in politics and you represent public policy – you, that is not yours to give away. You know, I'm, I'm such a good person. I'm, I'm you know, I, I think we need to sacrifice more, but other people will, no. That's a breach of the social contract. I give 10% of my money away to charity because I, you know, we, we're required to tithe, but I can't take other people's money and do that. It's not yours to give away. 
So I'm just saying, but it's the psychology. Oh, Puerto Rico, it's more politically correct. So it's the same thing. Mike Pence is obsessed with Venezuela. I mean, he's like, we're with you. He just had the wife of the um, opposition leader there. And, and look, God bless him. I want Maduro out. We had Joseph Humeyer. Nobody's more invested in Latin American affairs than he is on our show discussing what we should and shouldn't do. It's a long-term problem that we ceded the areas to Russia and China and Turkey and Iran, and we don't have a lot of good options now. That's the problem, and there's not a lot we can do that's in our interest at this moment other than in general we need to gradually establish uh, Monroe Doctrine and assert ourselves more. But again, geared towards our ends, towards combating the migration, the drugs, and everything that affects us, not so much because we're for the Venezuelan people and we're for the Ukrainian people. I mean, even good, I'm, I'm not making fun out of it. You know, I'm saying even allies, I understand that, but it's like almost like you're not allowed to be for America. You know, look, I, I, I don't know when that became a thing, but that that's where we are now. Everything is conservative except for what isn't. We don't have our own vision. Democrats define the fad, race, identity, who's for more giving out handouts to the poor under the guise of being compassionate but really screwing everyone and creating private monopolies. The conservative solution to what the Democrats are talking about is uprooting their entire premise and saying, you SOBs, you caused the problem. You caused the poverty. You caused the rich monopolies screwing consumers. And you go one by one with food and the Federal Reserve and ethanol and the healthcare cartel and the education, higher education cartel. You first pin the tail on, on the donkey. You blame them for the problem. Not glorify and legitimize and exalt their solutions as the problem, albeit I would go one step a little different. But you're, you're, you're definitely right. We really need to solve this problem. You caused the problem, you SOBs. You know, I didn't mean to get into this, but maybe why I'm, why I'm a little on edge today is let's talk about healthcare a little bit. It's been a while. We haven't talked about healthcare in a while. And if you notice, there, there's no vision on that. We've already agreed to Obamacare, everything, Medicaid. It's like whenever Republican officials from the administration testify and the Democrats are like, you are poor. And they're like, no, no, we're, we're giving more money. Yes, yes, more money, more subsidies. Instead of saying, USOBs, the Medicaid expansion destroyed healthcare in America. It created a monopoly that is destroying private practice, destroying innovation, hurting everyone, including the poor. Let me give you an example. So why, why, why I'm a little on edge, and I appreciate if you could pray for my nephew. Um, my brother has – he has a large family, and his second son is uh, turning 14. <clears throat> and you know that's, that's a prime age where you're energetic and doing sports and um, you know certainly look forward to uh, a life ahead of you. And – he had this problem with his knee all of a sudden out of nowhere. He didn't bang it or damage it. And, you know, long story short, they got a diagnosis that there's some disease he has, a rare, crazy disease that it's called OCD, not as an obsessive compulsive disorder, but I forget what it stands for. Those of you who know medicine would, would know um, osteo something. 
where it's almost to me it almost sounds like a, the the same type of thing that where you have cavities in your teeth. It's like on a bone, it could it's just something that just rots it out and just destroys it. So his kneecap um is just rotted out and they took him to finally got a hold of the specialist, and I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. And um he said it's in the other knee too. And he's gonna have to have reconstructive surgery of both knees. I mean, you know, it could be total. I mean, when you add that up, that could be a full year recovery in total, certainly six to nine months. And, you know, it's so rare and there's so little data on, on what goes on with this. Who knows what happens 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road from now um, when, you know, people get middle-aged, certainly older, there's always issues with your knees. And certainly when you're just sitting and putting tissue from dead bodies to fill that up, um, who knows? Who knows if this could uh, strike out again and what's going on? But, uh, you know, just first off, just before we get to healthcare, it's just, uh, it's a real jolting. You know, you think you're invisible. Well, as long as I don't get a known disease, I don't bang myself, um, I'm healthy. And it's like, man, you know, we are so weak, such a weak creation in God's eyes. Um, every, every day we could speak, that we could walk, we could breathe. It truly is a blessing that, I mean, even just a, a healthy young boy just out of nowhere, this rare disease, I never heard of it in my entire life. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just really scary. So, you know, prayers to uh, Jacob, my nephew on that. But anyway, um, my brother, you know, he's a proud conservative like me and, but he's got a large family and he's self-employed like me. So he never had group insurance, the whole racket with that. So you have to buy in the individual market. And what happened was with Obamacare, it did two things. On the one hand, it had, you know, the, the typical double-edged sword, the stabbing and the morphine, as I call it will create a problem, but then offer the, the handout. So they destroyed the individual market, but there's something with the tax structure with New York. It's such a welfare state. If he were living where I am in Maryland, he wouldn't be eligible for, for Obamacare. But there he is. And I guess with the number of kids. So, you know, he, he we spoke about it a couple of years ago. And he was like, look, I feel bad. Like, what am I supposed to do? And I told him you shouldn't feel bad. What are you supposed to do? I mean, those of us in public policy need to work to change this, but as long as they make it that no middle-class family, middle-income family could live in dignity, just you know, want to pay a fair price, I'll pay what's fair out of pocket, I'll pay what's fair for a normal competitive plan, you can't do that anymore, so you have no choice but to you know go on that. But anyway, so that, 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 that's what, what he is. Yeah. Everyone thinks that, hey, it's, it's free money, free, you know, it's, it's great. Now, obviously, it's destroyed healthcare. It's good for it's horrible for people who aren't being subsidized. But one of the things that people aren't pointing out is that among the many other problems, what the hell good is free bogus insurance if you can't get access to health care? And Republicans said this all the time when they were in the opposition. But now that they have no views of their own, 
They just agree to the premise of Obamacare and don't make this case anymore. The networks are so freaking narrow, you can't get a hold of anyone. This kid was was hobbling around for three months because he couldn't see someone, couldn't get to this really good specialist in that they saw in New York. And um, there was another guy that they wanted to see originally they could have gotten an appointment with sooner. Like, sorry, it's not covered. It's not a network. And I was thinking to myself, this, this happens so much. So certainly it's the people that aren't getting subsidized or getting screwed. But even those people, Medicaid, I mean, this isn't quite Medicaid. It's the whatever exchanges. It's the Obamacare subsidies. But we're always talking about Medicaid. It's, it's garbage. And no one's making the point. No one's giving a vision of what healthcare should look like. Imagine in this context, I told my brother, because he was he was saying, man, you know, I'd be better off, ironically now, if I were like you, because I went to Liberty Health Sharing. There's a couple others. I use Liberty, free plug for them there, Liberty Health Share. And wh- what it is, it's you just pull together and whatever it is, you just pay. There's no network. There's no price fixing because it's not an insurance company. But insurance, health insurance companies aren't insurance. Imagine if no one's giving a vision of what healthcare would look like. The reason why we have these problems is because government, through Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, the tax structure, all sorts of regulatory schemes, have created a monopoly where a couple of insurance companies not just control insurance, and there's no competitiveness in the insurance market, but they control the supply side of the delivery of healthcare itself. You literally have Aetna now, you have Aetna practices. All the mergers and acquisitions, not just vertically, but horizontally. In other words, not just between the insurers and between the healthcare administrators, but the insurers buying out the healthcare administrators. And because they are the consumer, the consumer is not the consumer. Government is the consumer funneled through the cartel, insurance cartel, So what happens is that the consumer is boxed out and they price fix. They control what gets paid and what doesn't. And therefore, the prices go way up and the options are limited. So yeah, you know, it's kind of good morphine. The Medicaid is good for people with kids and they don't have such a high income and, you know, you get freebies. You get kids get strep throat, they get the flu, they get, you know, the typical things that in a free market would not be a lot of money. But now if you don't have the cartel insurance and you're left out in the cold, it's like that'll be $500 for going to the doctor and diagnosing him with, uh, you know, bronchitis. And here's your Z-Pack, which should cost nothing. It's great. It's all free. Everything's free. But what happens when you get develop a serious problem for which you really do need insurance for or some risk-pooling mechanism, and now you're screwed? That's what's happening more and more, and it's going to get worse and worse. And nobody is making this case. It's like Canada. You can't see anyone. You can't get access. There was irrevocable damage for the last three months. They could have gone through this with more time, less pain, more spaced out with the operations. In an ideal world, you see, 
I had the same conversation with my dad when he started with Medicare. I was like, yeah, I mean, because of Medicare, you need Medicare. There's no way around it. If you wouldn't have Medicare, Medicaid, and the insurance, the tax exclusion that's propping up um, this you know, group plan business, and you had 325 million Americans in one market, and we all shop around, what would happen is you'd have tri- price tra- transparency. It would be known what everything costs. Let the games begin with the internet. It would work like anything else. All simple things, you'd pay out of pocket like you always do, but it would be affordable out of pocket. You'd have innovation, not just in the prices, but the delivery. Because if you look at any other industry, it didn't just cut costs, it improved delivery, quality, satisfaction. And then for the things, certainly, you know, you have to reconstruct needs, it's going to be a lot of money. You would have risk pooling, whether it's traditional insurance, whether it's health sharing, associations getting together. And it would be known, this costs this much money. Maybe a better doctor is another $2,000. And you'd get an indemnity payment like anything else. My house burnt down. They don't insure, the homeowner's insurance, State Farm doesn't price fix oh, this network of this guy to offer the roof and this much money, no. Here's the money we pay, go rebuild your house. Same thing with car insurance, same thing with life insurance. Here's the $500,000 payout for your life insurance. Risk pooling, you develop some rare disease, you develop a devastating catastrophic illness, boom, here's a million dollars. And then you go out and you use it that's what healthcare needs to look like. Now, we're not going to abolish Medicare and Medicaid at this point, but we've discussed certainly when we you know, covered healthcare a lot in 2017, at least partially you know, how to get as close to, as possible to this dynamic. Maybe it's not going to be, it's not maybe, it's not going to be 325 million people in the market, but if we can get 100 million people like that. And I'm telling you, I've gotten so much feedback when I talk about this issue in particular. People say, Daniel, you know, I never considered myself a conservative, but I really lo- love what you're saying on healthcare. But it is conservative. It's also common sense. It's truly what a free market is. See, they think, because we've been so bad in articulating it, that what we have now is a free market. So ironically, we're getting blamed for the status quo when we should be railing against it. But um, there you go. You know the sad thing? I hate to be mean here, but when you have these really good, I mean, top specialist that's like knows everything about this rare bone disease. Okay, this is the guy they went to. Notice every one of them has silver hair. They have white hair. What's going to happen in 20 to 30 years from now? We had enough of a free market, 60s, 70s, 80s, to produce these people. See, this is even more devastating than the cost of insurance and health care. One thing you never want to lose 
is America's R&D. I mean, everyone knows that. You could say whatever you want, but until recently, at least until now, you know, look, our system was a dumpster fire even before, and it's not because of the free market. It's because of we had not enough of a free market. People would point to prices and the waste and the middlemen, and that's true, which is why in some respects we were worse off than Europe. But where we clearly were always better is in the R&D. Anything you want on any specialty, you got in America. People come here, we don't go elsewhere. When you have a system like this, that is destroying private practice, that is creating monopolies, that is shielding the incumbent healthcare powers from any need to innovate and produce, what is the quality going to look like? Now, normally, uh, see, I know there's a little disagreement. Some of my friends on the free market healthcare, uh, you know, advocacy are very against what they call corporate practice of medicine. I'm okay with it in a vacuum if it really was a free market, but it's not. They're only getting these corporate conglomerates because of the government programs and the way it's structured. So you have the corporate kind of mentality, but you don't have the you know stuff that Apple had to do, what Southwest Airlines had to do, what Uber had to do. They're shielded from that. They're, they're essentially a, a GSE, a government-sponsored entity. This is the vision that no one gives over. Everyone, if you talk to people about their horror stories with healthcare, and then you trace it back to the Democrat policies for them, no one does that. No, no, you're right. I'll, I'll give more money, more money to your scam. I, I'm a good person. I love poor people. No, you don't. No, you're not, you don't. There's no sympathy in creating a dumpster fire monopoly for these sick entities that are a bunch of parasites off of taxpayer funding. No one gives the true free market populist case, not populism as an end to itself, but you could espouse populist rhetoric that won't be, that will be more than just a talking point. They'll actually be rooted in truth. I just wanted to give you give over to that today, just one issue of what it would mean rather than, okay, I, I just don't want the next iteration of what the Democrats want to do. No Medicare for all. We essentially have socialized medicine for all now. Even in the few areas that's not officially, indirectly it is. Entire medical industry is 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 like the post office now. Directly or indirectly because of one or more government interventions, programs, subsidies, mandates, regulations. We don't talk about this. We stopped, we stopped talking about all the problems of Obamacare, destroying private practice. Where's the vision? Just like we can give a vision on sovereignty, we could give a vision on healthcare. You know, one of the focal points of this healthcare debate, what permanently killed any conservative vision on healthcare it was the Trump administration, but you know he's not the only one. It's every Republican with this pre-existing condition thing. Where we were looking for an easy win, we don't want to explain ourselves, go on offense, just like we're doing with, yeah, climate change is true. I agree with climate change. I agree with president. And, and we think we're winning. But that's how you permanently lose. We all understood under Obamacare. It was like, 
You got to isolate and minimize the problem of pre-existing conditions. You can't spread it around and destroy the entire country. Because ultimately, like I'm saying, you're not going to help those, particularly those that are chronically ill and need the real specialty care. You ain't going to have it. So the best you could do is lower costs and spawn competition across the board, get rid of all this wasteful programs with everyone, and then the few people that can't be taken care of, you, you could have your own risk pools, you could have, you could, for, for a fraction of what you're doing with these dumpster fire programs enriching third party, fourth party payers in a death spiral of increased price inflation and therefore increased taxpayer subsidies and therefore increased price, price inflation where you have a regular market and you just give them the freaking dollars and they go and pay for it directly. That's what you do. It's exactly what we do with food stamps. We don't destroy the supply chain of food and have a third party subsidizing a fourth party, which subsidizes a fifth party, and therefore they have all the buying power, and then they take everyone over and destroy the quality of food, and oh, that'll be $300 for orange juice. No, for everyone, it's 3 to $4 for a thing of orange juice. All right, you can't afford it. I'm not saying I agree with that this much food stamps. I'm saying at least the structure of the program. Here's a voucher. Go out, buy it. Done. Now we spent, what is it, 70 billion or so on food stamps. But I'm telling you, if we ran food stamps like we run Medicaid and healthcare, the cost of food stamp program would be a trillion dollars. Oh, and by the way, the price of food for everyone else, not on food stamps, would be unaffordable. And we'd probably all die of stinky food. I mean, we, we, we've stopped doing the hard work. I just had a private conversation with Michelle Malkin today. We're just kind of lamenting things. And, you know, she was saying this, that, that a big part of the problem is it's just so easy. People are so lazy. It's just so much easier to do the morphine stuff. And then if you get confronted on a policy from the Democrats, you're just like, you pick one easy talking point against it. And then you're like, the rest that you find too hard to give an alternative vision, you just kind of agree to it. You're, you're right, this is a big problem, but but you know, I think maybe there's uh, there's much money. You know, you know what else the Senate's doing? We spoke about Puerto Rico. Guess what they're voting on now? Another third. So we have record record debt, which in itself is. Limiting economic growth. No, Mr. Congressman Matt Gates. It's not climate change inhibiting economic growth. It's the debt that your party is doing nothing about. But not only won't they do anything about it, like I said, it's not even like, okay, they won't cut spending. We know that. It's any opportunity to gratuitously increase spending, they do it. Another $13.5 billion supplemental disaster aid package. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it's we've spent over the last year and a half about $100, $100 billion. And, that, and all these agencies that are tasked with dealing with this are flush with cash, but it's never enough. Victims of recent hurricanes, wildfires, as well as new nutrition assistance funding for Puerto Rico. Huh. Boy, have we given... Man, have we given them endless bailouts. It never ends. And guess what? It extends the Violence Against Women Act. 
course, the True Violence Against Women Act is being tough on crime and locking up the bad guys, as well as not bringing in foreign national bad guys that we don't have to bring in. Um, you know, we have illegal alien rapists. Just yesterday, uh, Westchester County, New York, there's a guy that they let go. It didn't give, give over to ICE. Can you imagine that? You bring a guy in on rape. He's convicted on third-degree rape. And then you let him go. That, that, that's the way to combat violence against women. And, of course, allowing all everyone, but certainly including women, to, to carry. Here's another thing. A lot of conservatives have been passing along. There's this video somewhere of this woman walking in a street at night. It was deserted. And this guy stops his car, gets out. And starts running towards her and, you know, it, it looks really bad. He's, you know, so much bigger than her. It looks like he's really going to hurt her. And right away she she's carrying, I guess, on her hip, it looks like, and, and shoots him. And, you know, everyone's like, wow, what a great story. It is a great story. It's great, great video. What are you going to do about it now? We've given up on fighting on the gun issue. I mean, all conservative media is unanimously very into guns. But we seem to have missed the memo that every Republican that we keep propping up, they're terrified of that issue now. Again, that's another way of shoving it right back on them. We don't do that anymore. We're like cheap dates. We only go where the Democrat Party takes us. That's the stone cold truth, folks. Sorry to say it, but that's where we are. You know, if I were Trump, I would totally wait until the official March numbers come out, which they're almost, it looks like they are doing a better job posting them earlier now and even prelim, pre preliminary numbers. Just hold a press conference with your DHS people and um, and that's it. Pedal to the metal. Announce a complete border shutdown, military buildup. I said my piece on that earlier this week. But he's not going to do it if conservatives don't call the play. And the more we focus on the squirrels, and remember... Squirrels aren't necessarily bad things. They could be good things in its proper context. Recognizing Israel. Building some sort of fencing. Whatever slapdown of this media figure. What, you know, It's not that it's wrong or bad. But you got to fo focus on the right thing at the right time. But then again, that's only if you actually want to accomplish something. But if your goal is... Look, if my goal was to get, you know, 100, 200,000 subs subscribers to the show, let's be honest, I'd be doing something a little differently. You know, I'm, I'm the dumb one here. Some other people we know of that, that went a different route, um, they, they turned out very successful. It's also easier, too. It's so much easier. How much does Rush have to prepare for his show? 
Really? How much does it take? I mean, do you understand how much case law I looked through, you know, to put out the articles on the courts this week and the show yesterday? But, you know, do you know how much you guys do in your professions? A lot of you, are sm- a lot of listeners to this audience are small business owners. You do a lot of things too. I don't have a normal job. It's what I do. So I may as well do it right. You know, I, I look, you know, he's a great guy. We're friends. Um, David Limbaugh, I saw him put out on Twitter, was it yesterday, two days ago, he said, you got to listen to Rush. He's really on fire today. I guess it was Monday with Mueller. And I was saying to myself, you know, I'm old enough to remember times when he was on fire like I am on so many of these issues in the 90s when we actually believed in something. There was a time when we believed in something. And now it's literally the only things, the only things that will stir the juices are things that, as important as you think they are, they don't score points in and of themselves. They're not, they have nothing to do with the country. Going after Peter Strzok or Lisa Page, you could want to do that for different reasons, but it's not, it's not like the issues we're talking about. Healthcare, education, our border, sovereignty, what our immigration system looks like. And I'm not even asking people to be conservative on issues that Trump himself has turned not conservative on or never was conservative on. I'm saying on the things that he on paper agrees with and even says and kind of wants to do. I mean, the border. On paper, he agrees with everything I'm saying. Why is no one with a greater megaphone than me making some of these cases? Well, some of it's money-making, some of it's laziness, some of it's being controlled by higher-ups sometimes, not wanting to break connections. I don't know. I'm just telling you, until we have a normal conservative media and conservative movement, we will not have conservative outcomes. Our challenge here is obviously how to reconstruct a movement. I don't know. You know my view. I mean, we will never have conservatism in America in any way until we have a new party. How that's going to happen, I don't know. It's obviously, it has to wait for at least 2024 if there's going to be any hope of running you know, a third-party guy. And I, I have thoughts on that, and you know, at some point we'll talk about that. But anyway... I'm going to try to delve into some of the new immigration news that we we missed the last couple of days. But I hope you know the last two or so shows have been informative. Some of the other issues we got back to, some of our traditional issues we haven't talked about for a while. Let me know what you want addressed. What's bothering you? You could always email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Until tomorrow, God bless y'all. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 